From Yahoo Finance, this is Illegal Tender Season 2. I'm Katie Krasik. In our last episode, we left off in Morocco, where Anna had manipulated Rachel into spending more than $60,000. Upon returning to the States, Rachel identified that Anna is indeed a con artist who's under investigation with the district attorney's office in New York. Rachel decides to cooperate with the investigation, but this story is far from over. At this time, Anna was nearly impossible to track down. There were misdemeanor charges pending against her in New York, but still, she took what she called a planned trip to California. She paid for it by depositing $8,200 in bad checks to a bank account. Anna was supposed to show up in court set that September for some misdemeanor offenses. Um, she'd skipped out on, I think, the Parker Meridian and the W Hotel and dined, she dined and dashed somewhere. I don't know. But um, she skipped the court date, at which point the police and the DA's office contacted me to see whether if I were to contact her, she'd respond. And she did. I had to work over the course of that month that followed September into early October to figure out where she was because she had just gone to the West Coast and didn't tell people, um, like her lawyer or, or um, the courts. And there was a, a warrant out for her arrest. And it was really, it was hard, but it, it, I really wanted to protect other people. And I just felt like if she had betrayed me in this way and I was really just her friend, I didn't, you know, I didn't have any vested interest in her. I was just there for her. The fact that she just let it happen to me in, in such a painful and prolonged way. I felt like she'd do it to anybody, and I didn't I didn't know what she was capable of. Anna's reason for decamping to the West Coast was for a stay at the Passages Rehab Center in Malibu. Programs at the center reportedly cost around $80,000 per month for a shared room and jumped to more than $100,000 per month for a private room. She's smart whether or not she did that on purpose because um, law enforcement can't enter a healthcare facility just like willy-nilly and check on whoever's there. They have protections in place to, to protect the privacy of patients, especially in a place like that. So it was a kind of an ingenious hideout for her. And not only that, but it being the most expensive rehab in North America, she's surrounded by the wealthiest people in their most vulnerable state. One can imagine the type of friends she's making. And she's so inherently manipulative. Like, yeah, it's a little too on the nose, too smart. I don't know if she actually had some sort of substance abuse problem. She drank a lot. I never saw her do drugs. Um, but I, I don't think it I don't think it likely that was her motive in being there, but I, I don't know. With Rachel's help, the police finally located Anna at passages and arrested her with six counts of grand larceny, attempted grand larceny, and theft of services awaiting her back in New York. She was held at Rikers Island beginning in October 2017 and made her first appearance in New York criminal court on December 18, 2018. Until her trial would begin the following March, Anna would stay at Rikers. Her immigrant status made her a flight risk. The trial that followed was as much of a spectacle as Anna's lifestyle. Media outlets flocked to the courthouse where Anna appeared unapologetic. But she was eating up the attention. Her outfits were carefully curated by a celebrity stylist, which helped to preserve the public-facing role Anna had cast herself in. It, it seemed to me that when she was happy with whatever court look had been picked for her, she really enjoyed the attention. Um, you know, she would look over her shoulder to see how many people were in the room, what the turnout was like. She, she seemed very detached from the, you know, 
the risk that she might be going to jail. She, when I had to sit in the box and identify her as the defendant, I looked up and she was staring at me and smirking. She was, I mean, she's a narcissist. She's a socio- sociopathic narcissist. And it was on full display. Um, she, she certainly didn't seem remorseful. It's important to remember, Anna Delvey was not the one being tried. Anna Sorokin was. The Delvey facade only got her as far as the courtroom. Once her scheming and scamming were found out, Anna had little left to hide behind, let alone a name and identity that she made up out of thin air. The judge presiding over Anna's case said, she was interested in the designer clothes, the champagne, the private jets, the boutique hotel experience, and the exotic travel that went along with it. Everything that big money could buy. But she didn't have big money. All she had was a big scam. All told, Anna had scammed businesses, banks, and some of her best friends out of close to $275,000. She skipped out on hotel charges, including 20 days at the Beekman, which racked up a nearly $12,000 tab. At one point, before the Marrakesh trip, Anna had chartered a plane through the startup Blade, for $35,000. The purpose of that trip was to attend the Berkshire Hathaway annual shareholders meeting. She had secured the jet using a forged wire transfer from Deutsche Bank that Blade had apparently taken at face value. It's very Anna to to have the audacity to charter a private plane to go to a conference you haven't been invited to and have no reason to be at, just so you can spend the weekend close to something like that and maybe meet people or network. It just and then like to party crash or to just get drunk and not even care about going. The trial rehashed all these details and more, as a jury would ultimately find her guilty of most of the charges brought against the faux heiress. She's now serving four to twelve years after being found guilty of second-degree grand larceny, theft of services, and one count of first-degree attempted grand larceny. The jury found Anna not guilty on one count of attempted grand larceny in the first degree, related to a $22 million loan she had tried to secure for the Arts Foundation. The jury also acquitted her on stealing the $62,000 that Rachel had paid for the trip to Morocco. In a pair of interviews with Emily Palmer from the New York Times, Anna expressed no apologies, nor did she attempt to make herself out to be someone wrongfully accused or misunderstood. I'm not a good person, she told the Times. The thing is, I'm not sorry. I'd be lying to you and to everyone else and to myself if I said I was sorry for anything. The convicted con artist did say, I regret the way I went about certain things. At Anna's sentencing, the judge said, I am stunned by the depth of the defendant's deception. Her father, Vadim, told Daily Mail TV, It's down to her what she has done. I really do hope my daughter finds what she's looking for, whatever it is. Reflecting on her friendship with Anna, 
Rachel said. She isolated herself, and I thought it was because she was young and insensitive. And, and I, it's part of—I made a decision to step closer because I, I actually felt privileged that she had chosen me as a friend, and I felt capable of being a good friend. I felt like I could be more patient with her than other people were for whatever reason. Um, you know, I— both my parents are clinical psychologists. Maybe I was just trying to be like the like stable. I was so forgiving. Was like there are some people that aren't worth your time. Like I should have stepped away so much sooner, but I just. You said you're so forgiving, like kind of. Yeah. What? That's my nature. I, you know, I, sure. I have to catch myself. I have to monitor myself um, because I, I can still feel sorry for her. I think it's really sad to live a life where you can't connect meaningfully with other humans. Like, that's kind of the point of the whole thing, if you ask me. Uh, so I, I catch myself. But at the same time, it doesn't it doesn't excuse her behavior. It doesn't make it OK. Um, I, I will continue being an empathetic, trusting person because that's just who I am. It doesn't. I, I I do feel more self-aware, and 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 now I can see the instances when I'm doing that. If you know I'm in a relationship and I'm constantly making excuses for the other person, it's time to take a step back. Um, you know, when people show you who they are, believe them. I asked Emily, the social psychologist to give us her thoughts. So as a social psychologist, I'm interested in studying people. So that gives me a very wide <laughs> swath of material to, to study. Um, and I focused my work mostly on motivation science. So what are the goals that people hold? How do they come to hold them? What what inspires or drives people to make the decisions they do, to talk to themselves and to others the way they do, and ultimately guides the actions that they take. When it comes to Anna's story, Emily said one thing struck her the most. The fundamental motivations that we all experience that when placed into this particular context could explode into something crazy. Like, we all experience as humans a need for control. And so when we try to think about, like, you know, this crazy story of what's happened and the kind of control that one woman had on so many other people, we might link that back to just our fundamental need for control and the feelings of satisfaction and predictability that we all enjoy and, in fact, need in our life to, to, feel, to feel safe and happy and satisfied. Uh, but when this need for control is placed into the wrong hands in the wrong situation, you can see somebody wielding it in, in really extreme ways. And we all get a sort of gratitude over controlling our life and controlling other people. Uh, but sometimes we can take it too far. Emily explained to me how some otherwise rational people might get roped into a scheme like Anna's or buy into an event like Firefest, or find themselves in any kind of compromising position. Just walking out the door on any given day, regardless of where we live, poses a risk, right? So every choice that we make, in some sense, is trying to balance that risk that we're willing to assume with the possible reward that we might get. And in some sense, you know, maybe the appeal is is you could be likened to gambling uh, and to slot machines, for instance. And what we know about um, you know, slot machines and their appeal is that it's unpredictable. When are they going to pay out big? And and the risk with any one, uh, with any, hmm, the risk or the cost of just, you know, throwing one quarter or one dollar into that slot 
is pretty minimal. That doesn't cost that much. In the same way that having one conversation with somebody who seems different and interesting might not be that costly, but that adds up over time. And then we start to think differently maybe about the costs and the rewards. But there's always the potential that it's going to pay out really big. And that's always lingering in our mind, especially when there's somebody that's so fascinating and that seems so well-connected and possibly so financially well-off. The, the reward lingering in our minds is the possibility of a really big payout. And so, uh, and so it might make us assess the risk that we're taking in a, in a really different light. So the other thing that might drive people to be interested or to entertain the possibilities of engaging with this event or with these kinds of people might be um, concerns about social identity. Who we align ourselves with, the events that we participate in, who our friends are, and especially those that we can publicize through social media, plays a really fundamental role in defining ourselves for ourselves and for others that are trying to decide who are we and what's our story. So that's another reason that we might assess the risk and the reward of engaging in these activities or or uh, befriending a particular kind of person because another aspect of reward is the self-definitional qualities that it can provide for us by friending somebody, by attending these events, and by getting to publicize those relationships and experiences that we have. We are branding ourselves for the outside world and social media has given us a platform to broadcast that brand. And when we think about it in that light, I think it's a little bit easier to understand why would somebody be willing to entertain maybe more risk than you might otherwise, because there is a lot wrapped up in in this opportunity for telling the world who we are. As for Rachel's compassionate nature, Emily told me a little bit about why we sometimes keep interacting with people even after finding out they may not be as good-natured as we originally thought. And just in the same way that our first impressions about people really are play a fundamental role in what we think about them for a long time thereafter, first impressions are really important. The same is true with our own beliefs about other things besides our first impressions of people. So if we come to hold a belief— what we do is take in everything else in light of that belief, seeking to confirm it. That's called confirmation bias. So once we have a belief about a person or an experience, we've formed that evaluation, we never it's not our inclination to try to discredit it or to prove that our belief is wrong. We're always thinking in light of confirming and and maintaining what we already believe to be true, whether that belief is right or right or wrong. So when we have an impression about somebody or some experience, rarely do we seek to try to disconfirm it or prove that it's a bad idea. And and that can lead us to evaluate new experiences we have with that person or new information that we're getting about an event in a really biased way. It's going to be hard for us to let go of our first impression because of the way that our brain works. Anna wanted the kind of life that people would envy. And the actions she took to get there could be described as immoral. But the motivation that drove her is a feeling that most, if not all of us, possess. We have a need to have a clear self-concept. We want to know who we are. We want others to clearly know who we are. And so once we've branded ourselves in a particular way, particularly on social media, it can be a challenge then to, to present any information that's discordant with us because it might lead us to question, well, who, who are we then? And it might lead other people then to not have a clear sense of who we are. So breaking that brand can can pose psychological challenges for people because of this need for consistency. 
we're really, we are a social species. As humans, very few of us want to live a life alone. In fact, our social relationships are are what guides most of our choices and most of our day. Um, so... So when we're talking about this discrepancy between where, who do I want to be and where am I right now, it, com- it makes total sense that we would look at, first, the people that we surround ourselves with. They're, they are the lifeblood of our social species. And if there's something about our, our social environment, the people that we're around, that's discordant with who we want to be and where we want to get in the future, that would be the first and most obvious thing that we might want to change about ourselves. We might define ourselves to ourselves and to others by by the signals that we collect or the cues that we collect to who we are and what our social status is. For instance, our friends are a cue to who we are and where we belong in life. Our environment, the places that we live, the homes that we have, the cars that we drive, the clothes that we put on ourselves, these are all cues to who we are. And it sends that social signal to the outside world that helps establish our brand. In some way, Anna got just what she always wanted. She's become a household name, at least among the elite crowd she strived to be a part of. But the story of her legacy will always be one of a liar, a con artist, and a grifter. After learning more about who she is, I'm not certain Anna cares too much about why she is famous. As Rachel said, Anna loves the attention. She feeds off of it. And if gaining fame and notoriety were her goals all those years, in a weird sense, it looks like she has succeeded. In addition to the 4 to 12 years in prison, Anna was also ordered to pay a $24,000 fine. She also had to pay $199,000 in restitution. While in prison, Anna is reportedly serving as a consultant, like Neff, for Shonda Rhimes' Netflix series, Inventing Anna. Emmy winner Julia Garner is set to play the lead. Sorokin is serving her sentence in a prison near Buffalo, New York. Illegal Tender is made by Yahoo Finance at our studios in New York City. This episode was written and hosted by me, Katie Krasik. Illegal Tender was created, edited, and produced by Alex Sugg. Thank you to Rachel Deloche-Williams and Emily Balchettis for contributing to this story. Williams' book, My Friend Anna, is available now from Simon & Schuster. Emily is the author of Clearer, Closer, Better, How Successful People See the World, out February 25th. If you enjoyed this podcast, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review it for the show. Until next time, thank you for listening to Illegal Tender.